Let's pray together. We certainly celebrate today, Father, the greatest thing that we all know. We celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the grave. We call you great, Father. Jesus, we call you great. Holy Spirit, we call you great. Today, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take these words that you've been impressing on my heart and give them power. Pray that uh, in each home that folks watch this as we do Easter together, you'd work on our hearts. I trust you with these words in Jesus' name. Amen. As Ryan so eloquently described, we are looking forward to doing Easter together. So someday soon, hopefully, we're going to throw a huge party and, and dress up and, and do our normal Easter thing. Over the week, it just made me think, why is Easter so important? And what makes this Easter less important because we can't meet together? Obviously, obviously nothing. This Easter perhaps will be the most important Easter of your entire life. Here's why, because there's no chance that you can celebrate the celebration. I hope you're not trying too hard at a home to recreate what we often do for the celebration of Easter because the day we can take our eyes off the celebration and actually remember that Jesus rose from the grave and just celebrate that. The early church really wanted to celebrate. They, they were so excited about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that they basically celebrated every week. I don't know if you know this, but... By the end of Acts, the history in the New Testament of the early church, the church was getting together and they would do communion. They would break bread and, and share wine with one another and they would remember Jesus' body broken and then the blood spilled on the cross and they met on Sundays and they met on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. So in essence, they celebrated Good Friday and Easter every Sunday and they thought that that was worthwhile. And so today, even though we're doing it virtually for our fifth Sunday in the row, row we are celebrating Easter. And we're seriously celebrating this, this truth about us as Christians that we look forward to a life with God. As a matter of fact, we don't only look forward in eternity to that, but we look forward as our, as our signs in front of all of our, our buildings that said before and after, this, this time after meeting Christ that we've been able to walk with God and trust that we have life. I thought what I'd do today, I actually wrote names on the page. I'd sit across this little table and uh, speak to a few friends that I know and try to explain in a very simple way the steps to life, this life that I enjoy because I know Jesus. Uh, many years ago, if you know me, anytime I want to talk, I want to tell a story. I went to play golf, not a golfer. Uh, golfers seem to dress up like it's Easter every Sunday. Look at what Maloney was wearing for announcements a few minutes ago. It's, it's just a place that I just don't belong. But some friends, we were in a new town, and some friends had invited me, and I felt like I needed to go, and I don't know about you, but Cheryl and I were tight at the time financially. We had just had our fifth kid, and some of y'all are like, you've got to be always tight. We had our fifth child, and I got invited to play, and so when I went to pay, it was over 50 bucks, and I felt horrible. I put my debit card in there. I'm like, how am I going to explain this 50 bucks? And then I, I had this old golf bag, and, and I looked inside. I got no balls, and this is a nice place. I didn't have any used balls. I'm used to buying the cheapest thing I can possibly buy. I bought... 12, a dozen balls for 25 bucks, and I was 
miserable. I put them in my bag, acted like I knew what I was doing, and walked out to the first tee, played the first hole, and I mean, I could barely concentrate because I was so miserable about the money. Got up to the second tee box. I don't know about you if you're a hacker like I am. The whole reason to play golf is to pull out the driver and swing it absolutely as hard as I can. So I put my new $2 ball on the tee, and I pulled out my driver, and I thought at least I'm going to show these guys I can hit a long way, and I hammered it. That is, I I hammered it with a slice, and it, it just quickly moved its way into the woods, deep, deep into the woods, and as soon as, as soon as I cut it loose, I could feel those $2 being thrown away. So I drove the cart with the guy with me that I didn't know real well, and I'm like, bro, I got to go in there and get that ball. I might embarrass you, but I got to go get the ball. And I walked into the woods and started looking for my ball, and as I got into the woods, there were hundreds of golf balls. For one, it really encouraged me that evidently the average American slices to the right and into the woods. And so I started picking them up. I put them all in my pockets. And literally, I come running out of the woods skipping with joy because I, I must have had a dozen balls in my pockets. And I, I showed them to them. And I go, bro, I got to go back and get more. If you ever play golf, the problem is, especially on the nice golf courses, there's, this, there's another foursome behind us. And they're kind of pressing them. I said, I don't care. They're going to have to wait. And my buddy that I didn't know great, he had a hefty bag in his golf in his golf bag. So he pulls it out. I go into the woods and start picking up ball after ball after ball. I mean, I picked up men's balls and women's balls. I picked up all diversity of colors of balls. I picked up new balls and old balls. I picked up dirty balls and clean balls. I picked them up that were close to the edge of the woods and that are way deep in the woods. I went as fast as I possibly could until it felt like the hefty bag was going to tear. And I came out of the woods as quick as I, as I could. And I looked back at the foursome and I kind of waved and dropped the ball and hit it. And I mean, I was jumping for joy. The rest of the 17 holes remaining were great joy. I got home to the house and I told Cheryl, baby, I made money playing golf today. When we got, I had my boys count them 200 plus balls in the hefty bag. It was, it was a party at the Reeves house. You and I are a lot like those golf balls. We uh, are all lost. The Bible says, In Romans 3.10, that there are none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone, for everyone sinned. It's this interesting statement that I don't know if you believe, but you and I and everybody that's ever walked this planet, we were, we were all equally lost. Doesn't matter what race or creed or family you grew up in, doesn't matter whether you're clean or dirty, male or female, young or old, how far in or how far close to the edge you were, we are all lost. The Bible states it really clearly that you and I were sinners. So to the man that's at the local jail over there, he's no less a sinner than me. We're both lost. We're sinners. It's really the first step to life, to being found, is to be able to say out loud, I am a sinner. 
So, like, I, I'd like to encourage you, mom, dad, right there in front of your kids. Say, I am a sinner. Say it out loud. Kids, you say it in front of your parents. If you're single and you're even in a home alone. I did it in the office a little bit ago, just getting ready for this. I just said, I am a sinner. I know it's true. You know it's true. Just say it. I am a sinner. I don't know if you caught that in Romans 5, 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's this really interesting statement, because sometimes I want to say to Adam, hey, bro, if I'd have been there first, we wouldn't have this problem. Romans 5, 12 says, hey, if you were there, you would have sinned too. And because Adam sinned, he cursed all of mankind with sin. What's pretty cool about that statement about Adam and about him cursing us with sin is that uh, because he's our great, great, great grandfather, because he's the founder of all mankind, right, outside of God creating him, there's this distant, distant memory that there was a time when man didn't have to fear death. Pretty good memory. There's another memory that goes all the way back to our forefather, Adam. There's this memory of man walking in close relationship to God, spending time with God, being comfortable in the presence of God. And so despite the fact that we just stated out loud in front of the people that we love that I am a sinner, and I'm a sinner because Adam sinned, and I'm a sinner because I sinned, I'm also a child of Adam, and I have this memory, and it, it actually, some, sometimes it just haunts me that at one time, I didn't have to fear death. Certainly, during this season in America, in the world, it'd be great not to have to fear death. It'd be great to have a relationship with God. Romans 6.23 takes that idea of sin, and it gives it a little def- definition. 623 says, for the wages of sin is death. So death follows sin. Sin leads you to death. So if you're a sinner, there's this statement in Romans 623 that we are on our way to death. I kept picturing a 32-year-old guy, because that's usually who I sit with across the table, and uh, him trying to tip the scales in a conversation with me trying to argue with his life that he's done more good than he's done bad. The the problem with uh, Romans 6.23 is it it really states that there's nothing you can do to offset your sin. It doesn't matter how much good you do, you can't offset your sin. And for, for some of you, you grew up in church and you've been there most of the Sundays of your life. About 32, you've been... Whatever 32 times 52 is, you feel like you've been there all those days. And what I'm beginning to see, and maybe it's happening with you, is then, dudes, ladies, just quit. Because it's just not working. Going to church over and over is not working. If you're more emotional, maybe you, uh, I don't know, maybe you've raised your hands and you've sung really loud. Maybe you've even tried to speak in tongues or tried to heal somebody. If you're an intellectual, maybe you've uh, tried to master Calvinism or premillennialism or any of the isms. And when you got to the end of it, you just, 
just wasn't life. Maybe you're a worker. You've been at the soup kitchen. You're constantly making meals for other people. We see you everywhere hustling. Maybe you're an evangelist. You even preached outside to people. Maybe you even went on mission trips or to the mission field. And then all of a sudden, it's just like there's no real hope connected to all that work. Maybe you grew up saying Hail Marys and you've said hundreds and thousands of them and you got to the end of them all and there's just no life. And I, I just, I think perhaps you understood you were a sinner, but you still thought you could tip the scale by living a life that was better than it was bad. And the Bible teaches that eventually you have to regret that sin, that you have to repent. When I was a boy, I hurt my mom's feelings or tell a lie. I don't know if this has happened to you. Hopefully it does. I think it's something God was doing me even as a boy. I would sit in my room at night and be trying to go to sleep, and I would just be filled with regret. And I finally had to get up out of bed and go find my mom in the house and tell her that I was sorry. I always made her super happy. My mom tear up whenever I'd say I was sorry. And, and I'd say I'm sorry, and then there was this huge relief off me because that regret was released. And so when, when you hear the word repent, you can hear like this regret that you're supposed to have because you're a sinner. But in the Bible, it's, it's more than that. In the Bible, it actually means to change one's mind, to do a 180, to go the other direction, to change one's mind from what? I don't know if you picked up on it, but we just talked about Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, Eve is led into sin by, by Satan. And here's what Satan says to Eve. He says, God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. You remember that piece of fruit from Genesis? God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. He tells her half-truth, which is a lie. And he misleads Eve, and she believes it, and she believes that she can be like God. So when you repent, when you do a 180, you no longer believe that you can be like God. As a matter of fact, you're repenting of saying in your heart that I am like God. And so I'm actually saying, I am not the Lord. There's a humility that comes with that, a word that we're not real good at as Americans. I say I can't. Only he can. And so in your living room or at your kitchen table, you've said, I am a sinner. But the next step to life, to being found, is to say, I repent of my sins. Some of you, like me, have been walking with Jesus for a long time. And you're like, I've said that a long time ago, and I don't need to say it again. And I, I'm just going to beg to differ with you. So for the 52-year-old sitting in your living room, a Christian, having known God, say it, say it out loud, say it in front of your children. I repent of my sins. Because here's what happens. Over time, and it's happened in my life, I began, like Eve, to trust my own eyes, trust my own sense of good and evil. And somehow, over the course of time, I forget that I was found. I forget that I needed a Savior 
And the next thing you know, I'm coming off the tracks. It was really good for me to go back and say those words again. I repent of my sins. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to redirect my mind and say that I am not Lord, but that he is. Beautiful verse, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Did you catch that? He showed his love while we were still sinners, while we were lost. He came and found us. He loved us. John 3.17 is one of my favorites, kind of tucked in right after that really famous verse, John 3.16. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. It's interesting, during plagues in the past, pandemics in history, the church would come out of the woodwork and tell the world that God loved them and that he was willing to save them. They had this message, unlike any of the other religions, the other religions would say that their gods were angry at people, and so they, he was cursing them with the pandemics. Instead, the followers of Jesus, Christians throughout history, have come out and said, hey, now we made this mess ourselves. Adam and Eve sinned, and we sinned. I am a sinner. You need to repent of your sins. So say it out loud. I repent of my sins. And then Jesus will come and save you if you believe. I love the idea in that passage, and I hope you heard it. If you grew up in a church where you felt judged all the time, it's just not the way of Jesus. It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. Romans 10, 9 uh, is beautiful as well. It makes this statement that where we confess openly, we make a noise about this belief in God. But I wanted to read you just a quick story. It's a little bit like my golf stories from, from the book of Luke. Here's how it reads. Or suppose a woman had 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house? And search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner, what? Repents. You lost your cell phone lately? You know what she's talking about. Your wallet, your keys, your password, whatever you lost when you find it. In my house, first there's all this grief and noise about us not being able to find something. We find it, and then there's just this celebration. It is shocking to see Jesus say that's how he responds when you repent. When you say, I can't. When you say, I am not Lord. He celebrates. All of heaven celebrates that you've repented because you've positioned yourself to do something that Romans 10, 9 is going to ask you to do. You're going to make this statement that he is Lord. He'll change everything. Romans 10, 9. I openly declare that Jesus is Lord. Another translation says, I confess, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's it say? I'm supposed to say it out loud. 
I'm supposed to say it. I said it in the office again just a little bit ago. I said it kind of quietly and mumbled it, and I'm like, this isn't the right way. I finally just said, Jesus is Lord. I know that. I've believed that for years, but it is just so refreshing to state the truth under the living God that Jesus is Lord. Then I followed it up with the end of that statement, and I said, and God raised him from the dead. You say it at your house? sitting across the table from me. Would you say it out loud right now? It's really the, it's the third step to life. It's really the only way to be found is to say that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. And Jesus is Lord. God has raised him from the dead. And that is why Easter is special. Because we celebrate a God that provided life though we were all on our way to death. I left out the end of Romans 6.23 at the beginning. For the wages of sin is death. This is what you get. It's what you get paid for. And that's not only the death at the end of our 80-something years or 90-something years. It's the death that comes eternally. But he says the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's this powerful statement that if you believe, based on Romans 10, 9, that he's Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you can count on eternal life. It changes everything with COVID-19 conversations. When the whole world is talking about death, the followers of Jesus are counting on life. We've been doing that for a couple thousand years. It makes us an odd bunch. But at Easter time, it's time to say it again. It's time for you in your home to say Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, and I believe it. I need to tell you if this is the first time you've ever said those things out loud and you believe them in your heart, then God considers you his child. He saved you. He made you whole. Acts 26, 20, this interesting little verse. Uh, Acts captures a lot of history, and this is about this apostle named Paul, he says to some folks, I preached that all must repent of their sins and turn to God. We just talked about that. Repented of their sins and turn to God. And then it says this interesting statement, and prove they have changed by the good things they do. <laughs> some of y'all listen to I wish Christians practiced that. We got these signs out in front of all of our buildings that say before and after. There's this expectation, radius, really, the whole church in the world, that you, if you've believed in Jesus Christ and been found, then you'd act like you're found. (laughs) When you're found, you always remember that you once were lost. Takes all the arrogance out of it. It means you don't look around town and and look at people with arrogance like you've done something because you've done nothing. You've just been found. You just admitted that you were lost and that you were a sinner. And then you made this great statement that Jesus is Lord, but you did no work. He did all the work. He was the one raised from the dead, which has given you the opportunity to have life on the after side of the cross. I was thinking as I I read that passage, there's these great expectations on believers. And as we walk the planet, hey, with this COVID-19 thing going on, 
We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to look found. We're supposed to read the news different. We're supposed to talk about it different. When we're in little circles chatting online or, or, or six feet apart, we're supposed to look different. I hope that you do. 1 John 5.13 says this as I close. The writer says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. This great statement. Because our little signs out front capture before and after, and they really just capture how we've changed here on earth. But 1 John 5.13 assures something more. It's not just before and after, but we could put a whole nother screen out. Before and after and ever after. The followers of Jesus... As they face death, we count on the life that comes from the resurrection of Jesus, and we look forward to eternal life, says John 5.13. If you've never believed, I'm offering something that uh, no other religion in the world can offer. I'm offering you to be right with God based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. A lot like that moment when I was on the golf course pulling out balls and taking pressure from the force and behind me and I had to hurry to get out. We don't know when this is going to end. When Jesus comes out of those woods, those will be the last sinners taken. Choose today to give your life to Jesus. And dude, if you've been following Jesus for 20 years or 40 or 50 Today's a day for me and you to remember and worship that Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. Let's pray. Father, I trust you with my words. My words have no power. Outside of your Holy Spirit taking them and driving them home for a man or woman or child that's watching this this church service right now. Father, I I pray that you take your word. I know it has power, and I've read it out loud. I pray that your word would penetrate hearts. And that for those that don't know you, today would be a day of decision. And they they would choose to turn their life over to you today. They'd make those simple statements that we just walked through. For the believer, Lord, I pray that reviewing the gospel, something that they believed a short time ago or a long time ago, would make them worship. I trust you with all this in Jesus' name. If you would, there's a little connect card online. I'd love for you to reach out and just tell me how you processed these verses as you heard them read to you. If you'd like to talk about a relationship with Jesus, we'll reach out to you as quick as possible. Love y'all.